Amen. Thank you for that. To our worship team, thank you to this group. They have gone above and beyond in the last few weeks. It's a challenge to preach when nobody's in the room. It's a challenge to lead worship when there's nobody in the room. It's a challenge to sing and to lead worship when the only people you can see are me and Chris Bumbarger and Daniel, and then three of us are the only people sitting out there. That's a real challenge. And so these guys have done an incredible job leading us in worship. And, you know, I don't know when things are going to get back to some sense of normal. Um, We are, you know, we're all kind of figuring out this thing week to week. David and I have had numerous conversations about wishing we could have the choir back up here and be able to mix the the element of having the choir leading us in worship. Um, But it's going to be a while until we feel like people can sit that close together safely. Um, You know, it's going to be a while before we're probably going to be back in one worship service because it it looks like it's going to be uh, an unknown number of months until it's safe to get closer together. It's really weird to come to church and sit as far apart as you guys are, isn't it? I mean, we're, let's be honest, we're, we're in the y'all come culture, right? right? Where you just walk in church and yell out, hey preacher, right Wendy? That's right. That's the culture we grow up in. We're in that hospitality, love y'all, you know, how y'all doing? We're used to hugging each other at church and then we're coming and we're like, I really want to hug you, but I can't touch you. And, and, and it's really, really, really strange. Um, but thank you for your patience with us and thank you for your patience and your faithfulness over the last few weeks. I've been so encouraged when people tell me, you know, preacher, we're, we're watching every week. Um, uh, some of you have learned s- some technology over the last 12 weeks that you didn't know before that you were able to do. Um, you know, our, our church has been faithful in in. in car- in calling one another. I've heard from Sunday school teachers who've said, I've been calling the people in my class, checking in on them. Um, you know, we, we've heard, um, even when we first entered into this deal, one of the biggest concerns we had was not just for the, the physical health and well-being of our church members, that was our primary concern, but, but just thinking through the logistics and the challenges of church, what in the world is this going to look like three months from now when, when we can't have people in the building, you know, what is that going to look like financially? And, and for the first couple of weeks, it was a challenge. Most of our people are used to coming to, to church to give their offering either in Sunday school or during, during the worship service, and you're not allowed to come to church. And, and so, but some people picked up and started you know, giving online. Others, it's been such a blessing to see you come to church and, and come to the office and bring your, your tithes and your offerings because you want to be faithful to do that. And, and that gives us an opportunity to have some one-on-one time with you. And, and our church hasn't missed a beat. I mean, we're at, we're at 97% of giving in 2020 that we were this time last year in 2019 because of the faithfulness of our people to continue to give and to, to try to be connected to the church as much as possible. So thank you for that. And uh, we will be uh, trying to do some things soon. We, our hope is that on the end of this month, June the 28th, uh, our hope is to have an a, a on-campus uh, picnic, cookout, so to speak, 
uh, out in the grass just to have people an opportunity to come, bring your lawn chairs and spread out and still be able to visit and be with one another and, and eat a meal together. We'll be giving you some more information about that in the, in the weeks ahead, but just make that plan on June the 28th. We're going to have a cookout, and we know that there's some people that are watching on our live stream this morning that, that don't quite feel comfortable enough coming into a confined room, but they would feel much more comfortable coming and sitting out in the grass in some lawn chairs and being able to see people. So uh, we're just trying to figure out what this is going to look like and how to, how to best do that going forward, and we appreciate your continued prayers for us as we do. Um, we will not be taking up an offering today in the worship service, uh, but there are offering boxes that are available outside each door. And so if you brought an offering today, you can put that in there when you're done, and we'll be collecting those at that point in time. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open up to Psalm chapter 23. As David said this morning, we are starting a summer series through uh, some of the Psalms. We're going to be looking at nine different Psalms in God's Word. We are not going to be looking at them sequentially. We're going to be picking out nine different ones that we're going to be looking at. Um, and, and, and preaching these as, as Psalms as a whole. One of the challenges to preaching out of the, out of the Psalms is that there are many verses in the Psalms with which we are familiar, but a lot of times we'll take those verses and some of you have heard sermons from Psalms, but it's usually been one or two verses out of a particular Psalm. Or maybe you've been at a funeral where someone decided to preach uh, and they used a verse from the Psalms. But very few times have I heard or even preached sermons in which we looked at an entire psalm in its entire context. And, and so what that means is that sometimes in some of the psalms we're going to look at, they're quite lengthy. It's very hard to do a 30-minute a, a sermon on a 40-verse psalm. And so we'll be looking at some of those psalms kind of just as an overview. And others, they're a little bit shorter. We'll be able to, to kind of dive into them a little bit more deeper. Today, we're going to be looking at one that's very familiar in Psalm chapter 23. Now, before we do, let me give you some information about the psalms that kind of helps us to better understand what their purpose are. Because the psalms are not just God's word. They're not just scriptural truths. These were the worship songs of the Jewish people. These are Hebrew poetry, and they represent the way that many Hebrews would express emotions and teach one another whenever they would gather together. It was very common in the Hebrew culture for them to gather together in the synagogue or at the Passover, and as they would teach, they would teach through the singing of a psalm. And so maybe uh, the synagogue leader or one of the elders in the church or maybe as the family was gathered together for the Passover meal, one of the elders would begin to sing out and he would be singing these songs to teach the people gathered there the truths of them. It was, it was, it was a way that the, that the Jewish people not only expressed emotion, but it was also a primary uh, means that shaped their theology as the people of God. And the Psalms are loaded with deep theological truths that shaped the way the Hebrews, as well as us as Christians, understand who God is. The Psalms are also representative of many different types of emotions. If you've ever read through the Psalms on a Bible reading plan or, or just in, in, in your own personal enjoyment, you will notice that there are a variety of different emotions that are expressed within the Psalms. The most common Psalms are songs of praise that express praise to God. Blessed be the Lord God. Praise be to God. 
um, offering up praise and worship to him, which makes sense because these were worship songs. But some of them are songs of lament in which the writer is, is, is lamenting something that's going on in their life and, and, and they almost seem like complaints. Um, you'll see some psalms and we'll look at one here in the next few weeks in which the, the psalmist sometimes seem like they're, they're being a little bit judgmental towards God. Where they'll call out and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Or, or where are you, God? And, and, and there's complaint. Those are songs of lament. There were historical psalms, which were given to remind the people of God about God's faithfulness in, in the past. And they would sing these songs about how God had faithfully led them out of Egypt or faithfully led them through the wilderness or faithfully provided manna or faithfully uh, helped them to defeat their foes. And they would sing those as historical remembrances of God's past faithfulness that would remind them of God's continued faithfulness. There are imprecatory psalms. I don't know if you've ever read an imprecatory psalm, but it's interesting because it's interesting when you're reading in God's Word and you're reading somebody who is who is praying to God to smite and kill his enemy. <laughs> that, that sounds like an interesting song to sing in worship one day, doesn't it? Right? We're going to sing a song, God kill all our enemies and may their, may their graves, you know, uh, burst forth with, with, with fruit or something like that, you know? But that's, that's the way they would express their emotion in, when they felt persecuted or when they felt like they needed justice. And so they would pray for justice. There were royal psalms that were to be sung in the presence of dignitaries and kings. Whenever uh, the, the kings would come to gather, they would sing these songs and remind them not only of the greatness of, of those dignitaries, but how our God is even greater than them. There are songs of thanksgiving, expressing gratitude to God. Songs of wisdom that taught the hearers how to live wise lives. And we will be looking at many of these different genres of the Psalms during this series. But the most important thing we need to remember about the Psalms is that they are not just songs of worship, but like the rest of Scripture, they are, they are songs that are given to us to point us to Christ. Because at the center of all Scripture, we read these Psalms not just as historical worship of the Hebrews, but also as songs which point us to truths that would later be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we read Messianic Psalms that, that, that definitely point us to Jesus. Other times we read truths that, that later on we will see fulfilled in Christ. Even the Lord Jesus Himself would quote from these as, and, and would say that these things were being fulfilled in their midst. We read the Psalms with Christ-centered glasses looking for ways that they teach us about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, today we will start with one of the most familiar psalms in all of the Bible. We just read it and sang its truths just a few minutes ago. Now the saying goes that familiarity breeds contempt, and many of you have heard that before. The more familiar you are with something, the more you sometimes don't appreciate it. But that's not always true. Sometimes I have found that familiarity breeds indifference. That the more familiar you are with something, the more indifferent you become. Or sometimes familiarity breeds misunderstanding. Psalms 23 is one of the most recognized passages in all of Scripture, and it's read at almost every funeral that I have ever attended. The words of Psalm 23 are recognized by people who never set foot in a church. 
If you begin to speak to somebody and you say, have you ever heard the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Many of them will know those verses. They will be familiar with them. This psalm is one of the most beautiful and poetic passages in all of Scripture. There's a, there's a rhyme and a meter to the poetry that makes it very, very easy not only to understand and it not only presents very vivid images, but it's very easy to commit to memory. And yet, even with all of its beauty and with all of its familiarity, the reality is that the depth of the message of Psalm 23 is lost on millions and millions of people that know its words but don't know actually what it teaches. Now, the psalm itself tells us that it is attributed to David. If you have a Bible and your, and your Bible has titles in it, then right above verse 1 it will say something like, The Lord is my shepherd. And then underneath that it will probably say a psalm of David. We have very good reason to believe that David wrote this psalm which makes sense because the language of shepherding gives us an understanding about who the Lord is. And you would remember that David's background was that of a shepherd. When Samuel came to uh, his father's house to anoint the next king, David was not there when they were going through all of the different brothers to figure out if that was the one to be the next king because he was out in the field tending the flock as the youngest. And it is probable that David may have written this psalm very early in his life, soon after leaving the fields and going to be under the direction of King Saul. And perhaps as he was sitting there reflecting and thinking about God, he began to think about those times as a shepherd when he would be tending to the sheep and leading them to pasture and protecting them from danger. And he began to think about God and he began to write these things down. But, but what does David tell us about God in Psalm 23? And what is the point of this psalm? As I said earlier, many people remember it precisely because of how many times we've heard it preached at the funeral of a loved one or a friend. And David's words that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they provide comfort for many people during times of grief and, and mourning. And David's promise that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever provide comfort that we have an eternal home. But I want us to be very clear that Psalm 23 is not intended to be a funeral dirge. The point of Psalm 23 is not to express sorrow at the loss of a loved one. Those words are very fitting to bring comfort to us when we go through periods of grief but the true meaning of Psalm 23 is much deeper and much more relevant to your life and my life on an everyday basis. Scholars classify Psalm 23 as a psalm of confidence or a psalm of thanksgiving. And the purpose of Psalm 23 is actually designed to give us, as followers of Jesus Christ, confidence in the Lord's sovereign care over us, which is vitally important to us in our lives. Psalms 23 gives us weight in life because as we read it, we understand that no matter what happens to us, Jesus Christ cares for us, his sheep, as a good shepherd. So let's read Psalm 23. And you are very familiar with it. You could probably quote it from memory. It says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As you read those words, don't you just read them and they, they seem to give you a sense of confidence? They seem to just bring confidence to your heart as you read about the truths that, that you have a God who is a faithful shepherd who leads you to green pastures and leads you to still waters, who restores your soul, who leads you in the paths of righteousness. Doesn't that just bring confidence to your heart? Confidence is crucial in our lives. And it seems like some people never lack for confidence. You ever met somebody who just was really self-confident? And it seems like everything they touch turns to gold. They seem so self-assured. Very little in their life seems to upset the apple cart. No matter what happens, they say, you know what, it's all good. And there are some people that are like that in life. They, they, they never lack for confidence. But the reality is that most of us go through extended periods of self-doubt. Most of us go through life wondering, do we have what it takes? Most of us go through life wondering, is, is things, are things going to get better? Are things going to get worse? Most of us lack confidence. We struggle in this life. And our lives are often marked more by worry and anxiety than confidence, especially with what we've gone through over the last several months in our culture. I don't think I've ever seen a time in the church where I've seen so many Christians who struggle with worry and anxiety as we have over the course of the last few weeks, and rightly so. You can't go to the grocery store for fear of touching a cart because you don't know who touched that cart before you did. Am I supposed to wear a mask? Am I not supposed to wear a mask? Oh my goodness, I'm wearing a mask, but that person's not wearing a mask. I mean, it just seems like there's so many things to be anxious about right now. And then we have the anxiety that's brought about by sitting at home all the time, doing nothing, right? When am I going to be able to get out of here? When am I going to be able to go to the restaurant? When am I going to be able to, to gather together at church? And I would say that many of us have probably struggled with confidence over the course of the last several weeks. How do we increase our confidence? How do we increase our confidence in God? Even many of us would say over the course of the last few weeks that we haven't lost confidence in the goodness and the faithfulness of God, but we haven't really felt that confidence ruling our hearts like it should. How can we live the life of faith that many of us really want to live. We know that we're to live lives that are marked by faith. We know that God is pleased by faith. We know that He's honored by faith. We know that without faith it is impossible to see God. But how do we live our lives with that kind of faith that we really feel like we should be having? How do we cement ourselves in the truth of God's tender care over us when the circumstances of our lives fill us with doubt and sometimes makes us feel like God is hundreds of miles away. If you've ever been through a period of darkness or depression, sometimes you can know in your head something to be true, but not feel it in 
the reality of your life. You can know in your head that God is good, that God is loving, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, but that reality doesn't exude confidence in your life because you don't feel that. And so I want us to see three confident promises that David makes in Psalm 23 that I believe are available for all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I believe that today God wants us to not only hear these statements, but He wants us to push these three statements deep down into the recesses of our hearts so that these promises can come to the surface whenever we go through times when we are tempted to question God's love, God's goodness over us. And those three confident promises are simply this. Number one, because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because God is my shepherd, I I shall not want. Second promise, because God is with me, I shall not fear. Because my God is with me. I don't have any reason to be afraid. I don't have any reason to live my life with fear. And then third promise, because God has graced me, I will dwell with Him forever. Because my God has shown me abundant, amazing, extravagant grace, I know that no matter what happens to me in this life, I will dwell with Him forever. These three promises are embedded into this psalm. And I want you to just think about those three truths right now. How much different would your life be on a daily basis if every single morning you lived in the truth of these statements? Every single morning you got up and you looked in the mirror and you said to yourself, because God is my shepherd, I shall not want today. Because God is with me, I shall not fear today. And because God has graced me, I know that I will dwell with Him forever. How much confidence does that give us? We say, where do you get that from? Well, I believe that there are three truths that he presents to us that give us the grounds for our confidence in these statements. And the first of those truths is this, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we trust in the sovereign protection of the Lord. As followers of Jesus Christ, we trust in the sovereign protection of the Lord. Psalm 23 uses two very vivid images to portray to us who God is and what God is like. In the first image, God is portrayed as a loving and caring shepherd who watches over his flock. In the second image, God is presented as a gracious table host who prepares a feast in which you and I are the honored guest. Now we'll return to the second image in just a second, but I want us to look at the first image of the shepherd and understand what it teaches us about God. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. To understand God as a good shepherd, we need to understand a few things about sheep. Because the Bible presents us as sheep over and over and over again. Jesus even called us that as followers of Him. So what do we know about sheep? Well, first of all, sheep are vulnerable animals. Sheep have no natural defense mechanisms to protect them from their enemies. You think about 
a lion, you think about a powerful beast with incredible strength and claws and giant teeth that can rip anything apart. <coughs> when you think about uh, a, a, uh, maybe a, 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 a giant ape, you think about an animal that has an incredible amount of strength that can rip down trees. Even, even something like an elephant, which is a huge animal, has, has incredible strength and power to defend itself if it is ever attacked. But that's not so with sheep. The sum of the life of a sheep is to migrate and eat. That's all they do. They go from place to place and they eat. They don't have very keen defense systems. When they are attacked, about the only thing they can do is go, that's about all they can do. That's about it. They are completely dependent upon something external of them to protect them or someone. Not only are sheep very vulnerable, but from what I've been told, sheep are not necessarily the most intelligent of animals. Now, I had somebody one time who used to tend sheep who said they're smarter than most people give them credit for. But the reality of it is, is that sheep eat a lot of grass and a flock of sheep can raise a field of grass in very little time. And once they eat all the grass, they'll just stand there waiting for more grass to pop up. Now, a lion, on the other hand, will go out and seek and forage for food and realize that if there are no animals in the, you know, in the, in the field in front of them, then they're going to have to go out and find that for themselves. But sheep will just stand there doing nothing. Sometimes uh, sheep will uh, often wander off aimlessly. They're prone to wander, in other words, as, as Martin Luther said. And so sometimes uh, a sheep will eat grass and they will continue to eat in what's in front of them. And in the process, they will walk off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> or sometimes they'll be eating and they'll be following the path and they'll see another little path of grass up on a, on a stone and they'll jump up there and then they'll climb up. And then all of a sudden they're stuck on the side of a hillside and they can't get down. Jesus used that image when he was speaking of him as a good shepherd and he talked about the good shepherd who leaves the 99 in the field to go find the one who has wandered off. That's because they're not very intelligent animals and they're prone to wander. And I think that sheep make a great metaphor for us as human beings. Because sometimes in life we are vulnerable and defenseless against the enemy of our faith who seeks to destroy us. That's why... Peter says, be careful your adversary the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're vulnerable. And not only that, but many of us are not very wise spiritually. And we're prone to wander off into circumstances and habits that can cause us harm. And how many times have you done something that you said at the end of that, you know, I knew better than that. I knew better than that when I started. And so... David presents to us as sheep the fact that we have a good shepherd and he shows us how Almighty God is the perfect shepherd over his sheep. And he says a couple of things here. First of all, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What a confident statement this is. Because the reality is that everyone is being led somewhere. Very few of us are as independent as we would like to think or as we like to present to others. 
Most everyone in this world has a shepherd who is leading the way that we think, what we value, and what we pursue in life. And the reality of life is that someone or something is usually setting the agenda for our lives. For the Christian, we have confidence that because our shepherd is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, we know that our shepherd and we know that He has our best interest at heart. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's acknowledging that we all have shepherds, but in his case, it's the Lord Almighty God of the universe who I've chosen to follow. But not only does he say the Lord is my shepherd, he says the Lord is my shepherd. He personalizes it. He emphasizes the personal relationship that we have as sheep with the shepherd. He emphasizes the personal connection that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself spoke about how sheep instinctively know their master's voice. They may not be the most intelligent of animals, but they know instinctively the voice of that one who cares for them. And in those days, it would be very common in a, in a village like Bethlehem or Capernaum or someplace like that, it would be very common for shepherds to bring their flocks in for periods of time and they would put them in a common sheep pen. Jesus talked about being the door of the sheep, and that door is the door to the sheep pen. And so shepherds would come in, and there would be three, four, five flocks all put together inside of one common pen within that village. And you know what sheep are going to do when they're in the pen. They're going to go, bah, 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 and they're just going to walk around, and they're going to mingle, and they're going to bounce around. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't have brands on them necessarily, and sheep all look alike pretty much. And whenever the shepherd would get ready to go back out into the field, he would simply open the door and he would call out to his sheep. And those sheep that knew that master's voice would follow that shepherd out of the pen while the rest would stay in. That's because the Lord is our shepherd. He's my shepherd. We know his voice. Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. God's sheep know His voice. And so as vulnerable sheep, we trust in the good and gracious care of Jesus Christ, our shepherd. And we trust in God's sovereign protection over us. And we understand that because He is my shepherd, I shall not want. He colors this with three statements he makes. He says, first of all, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. What does that mean? It means God knows our need. He knows what we need and he knows the exact moment that we need it. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 3 says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. God is a good God and He's a good shepherd. And you may be in a dry spell right now and you will likely have times when what you desire may not match with what's in your personal account. But the psalmist reminds us that our God is a good shepherd who knows your need and is always leading you to green pastures and peaceful waters. <clears throat> not only that, but he says he restores my soul. And the word restores speaks of refreshment. It's that picture of the sheep who is drinking from the coolness of those 
still waters. And those waters begin to bring refreshment to the sheep. And as we come to the green pastures and the cool waters of our shepherd, we are refreshed. Jesus Christ himself said that any man who believes in him would have rivers of living water flowing through him. Our shepherd restores our souls, but he also says he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's an interesting picture here because we see how the good shepherd knows how to lead the sheep along solid paths. And it's an interesting word picture because as sheep follow the voice of the shepherd in those days, the shepherd needed to know how to lead the, the sheep from one field to another. And oftentimes getting from one place to another meant that he had to lead the sheep through some hilly countryside. And the wise shepherd understands that sometimes he may have to lead us through paths that are difficult, paths that have difficult obstacles, but he knows the right way through those paths because oftentimes there is no direct and easy route to the green pastures and the still waters. W.S. Plummer in his commentary on Psalm 23 says that, as to sheep in Judea or any other hillside country, finding the direct to be the easy way, it was frequently just the reverse. The shepherd often led them about in winding ways that was to them safe and convenient. And as the shepherd guides his flock in the ways that he thinks best, so God guides those who are his chosen ones in the way that he approves. And so the first statement of confidence that we have is that because God is my shepherd, I shall not want, I can trust in the sovereign protection of my shepherd. But secondly, we trust in the steadfast presence of the Lord. We trust in the steadfast presence of the Lord. We said that verse 4 reminds us that because God is with me, I will fear no evil. How many of you were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? Anybody? Anybody want to admit that? I was terrified of the dark when I was a kid. I was scared of the dark. I was scared to be alone. I always had a nightlight in the bathroom or something like that. I was scared of scary movies. I was scared of movie monsters. And at different times in their lives, my sons have been afraid of the dark as well. Now, it may not be scary movies or it may not be fictional monsters that scare you, but the reality is that all of us are afraid of something. We may be afraid of being insignificant in life. We may be afraid of losing what we have. We may be afraid of the unknownness of the uncertainty of the future. We may be afraid that something in our past will come back to haunt us. The reality is that everybody finds something they're afraid of in life. Now some people say, fear not, do not be afraid. And that's good advice, but sometimes it's not always helpful, right? Because in order for us not to be afraid, we have to trust in something or someone bigger than us in that moment. So when my son Josh gets afraid at night, he doesn't just wake up and say, well, my dad told me there's no reason to be afraid and then lay back down and go back to sleep, right? When he gets afraid, what does he do? He comes in my bedroom and gets in our bed. Because he knows that something bigger than what he is afraid of is in there. The psalmist does not just say here, I will not fear because someone explained to me the logic of my situation and the irrationality of my fear. 
so therefore I will not fear. He does not say, I will not fear because I've been working hard lately on overcoming my fears. The psalmist says, I will not fear because God is with me. It's the gentle and constant presence of the Lord in our lives that cast out fear. And the psalmist says he will not fear even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And death is something that all of us fear at some time on some level. The psalmist points out four things about death here that I think are comforting to us. First of all, it is the shadow of death. And the reality is that the shadow of death constantly hangs over us ever since our first parents in the garden ate of that forbidden fruit from the tree in the garden that specter, that shadow of death has hung over us. From the day we are born into this world, the reality is that all of us will leave this world through death at some point in time if the Lord does not come back first. And so that reality, that, that unwelcome intruder is always in the background, but the reality is that he tells us that it's the shadow of death. It's not death, it's the shadow. And the shadow of something cannot harm us. The shadow of a, of a sword cannot do us any harm, but the sword itself can. And death's shadow may stand over our shoulder, but the reality is that it is powerless against us until the day that our sovereign God ordains it to be so. It's the shadow of death. Not only that, it's the valley of the shadow of death. And William Plummer says in his commentary... It is the valley of the shadow, deep indeed and dark and dirty. But valleys are often fruitful and so is death itself. The valley may cast long shadows over us as we walk through it, but the other side of the coin is it's often in the valleys where the deepest fruit is grown in our lives. You don't see... Fruit trees growing on the tops of mountains, but you'll see them oftentimes in the valleys accompanying them. He says not only do we go through the valley of the shadow of death, but it is a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm afraid, I don't have a tendency to walk. I have a tendency to run, right? I have a tendency to try to run, to get away as quick as possible. But we don't have to run and toil through this valley. We don't have to hurry to get to the other side. Instead, we are on a gentle stroll under the sovereign care of our Lord with His gentle presence alongside of us. And with death, when believers pass through death, they simply take a walk from one world to the next. But then he says it is not only a walk, it is a walk through the valley. You see, as scary as death may be, we don't stay in that valley. We don't get lost in the valley with the specter of death hanging over us. And it's a promise to us that whatever dark valley God is taking you through right now, He is taking you through it. He will not leave you there. He will not leave you alone. He does not leave us in the valleys. He takes us through them. And so the st second statement of confidence we have is that because God is with me, I will fear no evil because we trust in the steadfast presence of the Lord. But finally, we trust in the gracious provision of the Lord. We trust in the gracious provision of the Lord. The third truth we said is that because God has graced me, I will dwell with Him forever. And we do that because... 
We trust in His gracious provision. The image shifts here from the tender shepherd to that of a gracious table host. And the picture is that of being invited to a great banquet filled with the leading dignitaries of the day. Now to prepare a table in that day was more than just putting out sandwiches and milk when a guest appeared. You see, if you had special guests coming over to your house today, you would likely work hard to prepare a feast for them. You would likely bring out the finest china. You probably wouldn't put out paper plates like you eat with at home. You would probably research recipes to find the best dish you could possibly find because you would want to put the best before your honored guest. In Uganda, things are a lot like this, but they're different in their culture. Uh, A few years ago, I led a team to Uganda, and uh, we had a team of seven pastors, and one of our elders in the church and one of our security guards and his wife wanted to invite our team to have dinner with them, and we were their honored guest. Now, in, in this particular case, we sat in a, in a mud hut on the ground on top of skirts or, or, or mats that were made out of grass, and they had prepared for us one of their chickens. They're called guenos in, in, in uh, Uganda, and they had, they had taken one of their chickens and prepared for us a, a chicken stew and posho, which is a kind of a mealy, half-cooked cornbread kind of thing. And, and so, you know, when, they, when you go to Ugandan and you have their chicken stew, you're not really sure what part of the chicken you're going to get. You don't go, I'd like the breast, please, or I'd like, the, I'd like the thigh, please. You just get chicken. And you might get the tailbone or you might get the neck. You might not even know what piece of chicken you got. But there we sat on, on grass mats on a dirt floor eating uh, chicken on plastic plates and yet our, for our people that we were with it was the honor of their life to be able to serve us and to show hospitality to us and it was the great honor of our life to be there. That's the very same picture that we see here when he says you prepare a table before me. David says our God is a host who has prepared a table not only before David, but also in the presence of David's enemies. It's very possible that when David wrote this, he may have been even later in his life and was thinking about running from his son Absalom and that he was thinking about God preparing that table in the presence of that gracious provision in the presence of those who were pursuing him. Then he says, You anoint me with oil and my cup overflows. The anointing with oil and the overflowing cup are signs of the depths of God's incredible grace. It reminds me of the story in, I believe it's the Gospel of John, where there was an adulterous woman in the community who came to the house where Jesus was, and she had this very expensive bottle of perfume which cost her more than a year's wage. And she'd been saving that up for a long time, and yet she understood instinctively who Jesus was. And she goes inside. Here's this unclean, adulterous, scandalous woman who goes into the home of of this Pharisee and walks up to Jesus and breaks that bottle of expensive perfume and begins to pour it out on the feet of Jesus and begins to weep over his feet and begins to wipe them with her hair. 
That's the picture here of grace. As God anoints us with oil and that our cup overflows, we don't just have enough, we have overflowing provision. And then David ends the psalm with these incredible words of comfort when he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those words bring us incredible comfort because there are those days when we don't feel like goodness and mercy are with us, aren't they? There are those days when we feel like anything other than goodness is following us. I remember when I was growing up, and those of you that are older than about 40 will remember this, there was a TV show that used to always come on Saturday night called Hee Haw. Anybody remember Hee Haw? Right? And in Hee Haw, there were these three or four guys, I remember, that would sit out on the porch and every single week they would play and sing the same song. Do you remember? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. It's the way a lot of people look at life. Jesus says, no, no matter what's going on, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David doesn't tell us that all of our days will be easy. As a matter of fact, he says that we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We are being pursued by our enemies, but we know that our gracious God is walking with us and we know that He has prepared for us a feast as His honored guest. And so while you may not feel like it right now, goodness and mercy are following you if you are following the Lord Jesus Christ because wherever God is, goodness and mercy come with Him. As Christians, we can have confidence in this life no matter what happens because we know these three things to be true. Because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because God is with me, I shall not fear. And because God has graced me no matter what, I know that I will dwell with Him forever. But as powerful as this psalm is and as powerful as those promises are, those promises are not automatic for everyone who is listening. Those promises only come as a byproduct of being forgiven and personally connected to the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You see, salvation doesn't come to us because we were raised in church. Salvation doesn't come to us because our mom and daddy were good Christians and played the piano and were deacons. You don't get saved by being a good guy or a good girl. Salvation only comes when you come to the point in your life when you forsake your own goodness and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. And I know that someone listening, either in this room or on our live stream right now, is probably listening today, and you're not walking with the Good Shepherd. You don't feel like goodness and mercy are following you because you are not rightly connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before we finish this time today, we want to give an opportunity for anyone who needs to trust the Lord Jesus to do so. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we prepare to pray? And if you are here today or you're watching online, and the reality of it is that when you read Psalm 23, you're not reminded of a good and gracious shepherd, and those words don't resonate comfort over your heart. And today the Lord has revealed to you your need for a Savior. And we'd like to know that and we'd like to help you with that. 
So if you're here today and you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then when we're finished in just a moment, you can see me, you can see David, you can see Jamie, one of our other staff members, and let us know that you need to talk to someone about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're watching on our live stream and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you would like to trust Him with your life, you can give us a contact and there's information that's usually put up there that has my cell phone number and my email address. And you can let us know that you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ and we'd be honored to share with you how you can be saved. Now I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the powerful truth that you are our shepherd. And not only are you our shepherd, you are a good shepherd. You know us and we know your voice. You lead us to green pastures and still waters. You restore our soul. You, 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 you bring us goodness and mercy that follow us. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for the, the truth today that because you are our shepherd, we have no reason to want because of your sovereign protection over us. We thank you for the truth that, that because uh, you are with us, we have no reason to fear because of your sovereign protection over us. And we thank you that because you have graced us so much that we will dwell with you forever because of your sovereign presence with us. And so, Father, may these truths resonate in our hearts today as we leave here. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.